This is the Champion Forum Podcast with Jeff Hancher, the forum for leaders, champions, and dreamers. Welcome back, everyone, to the Champion Forum Podcast, where it is my mission to help every leader reach their absolute fullest potential. Before I introduce this week's guest, I want to remind everyone to take advantage of a group coaching call that I specifically designed for the season that we're in. By now, if you're a leader, you know that your team is getting bored with the average and the normal Zoom calls and the business meetings that are happening remotely. Now is the time to prepare your organization for what's coming in the future. This season will end and it's time to prepare your people for the future. You need a fresh message, you need a new approach. In this specifically designed call, I'm going to discuss with you and your team the mindset that could be keeping you from success, why the pain of preparation is better than the plan of failure, and four key principles to ensure that you and your team have the proper perspective when the opportunity presents itself. I'm also going to be covering in this group session three disciplines that will take you from where you are to where you want to be. I assure you, your team will be challenged to engage their work and prepare for the road ahead. So make sure that you take advantage of that. The meeting is going to have plenty of opportunities for Q&A and group discussion. The meeting, if you book it prior to May 15th, is only $2.99. For more information and to book your group coaching call, make sure that you go to thechampionforum.com forward slash info, and I look forward to being with your team soon. Now listen to this. This next guest on today's episode is one that I've been excited about. I'm excited about all of our guests, but this is somebody that I've known of um, all of my professional career. And listen to this bio. In just over a decade, Jim Shorkey expanded his Western Pennsylvania automotive dealership into a conglomerate that is consistently ranked among the top performing companies in the Pittsburgh region. However, there was a season in which the auto industry was brought to its knees by severe economic impact, a recession, a downturn that sent many of Jim's competitors packing their bags. But Jim's tenacity and his perseverance helped him to get through this tough season. When others might have been crafting recession plans, Jim Shorkey was devising a prosperity plan, a 15-page manifesto designed to get all of his people and his team on the same page and set up their game plan so that the company wouldn't just get through the recession, but actually be in a better position to succeed and prosper after the recession. This is an amazing story. And since then, Jim has left this business and has started something that is really designed to give back. So enter Jim's newest venture, Results From Thinking. This is a platform in which Jim and his business partner, Chuck Bellina, they work with entrepreneurs and professionals in order to help them become more successful, not only in their personal life, but also in their professional endeavors. And I'm excited because going from adversity to breakthrough is something that can apply to all of us. So Jim Shorkey, welcome to the Champion Forum podcast. It's an honor to have you on today. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. And, and, and believe me, the honor is on my end. I'm here to learn. And, and so I'm going to learn today from you 
and uh, in the process answer whatever question you have for me. I'm, I'm ready, man. Well, I, I got to tell you, Jim, I've watched, uh, I've watched your business uh, all of my professional career. Uh, I stayed close to it. I was a potential vendor of yours for years, so I kind of watched what was happening in your organization. Uh, but post uh, that time, I've got to really learn about who you are. And uh, I told you this prior to the show as we were just chatting, your business success is pretty amazing. Uh, nobody can argue with that. But I think as I learn about who you are, uh, I would argue that I'm much more impressed with who you are than what you've done. And, you know, your story is going to help a lot of people because, uh, you know, I realize that we have listeners from all over the world. However, anyone that's listening from the Pittsburgh market, you've heard the Shorky name. And the Shorky Automotive Group, it's a very well-known company in the Pittsburgh market and it prides itself on world-class service and proper processes. And Jim, I don't need to tell you, we're in very uncertain times right now. And I've been having guests on the show that have stories of overcoming adversity. You have an amazing story of success, but it wasn't always that way. There was a time when your business was bankruptcy eminent and you had to make adjustments to your strategy to pull through it. Can you tell us a little bit more about that backstory of, of tragedy to triumph and how others listening can utilize some of these same methods to get through this time of, of uncertainty that a lot of us are in? I sure can. So um, I grew up in the car business. I never worked anywhere else, anywhere else but the car business, working for my dad uh, since uh, you know, high school, college years, graduated from college, started selling cars. And and, and ended up uh, progressing into where I, my position was the general sales manager of the dealership, which was uh, courtesy Oldsmobile Jeep at the time. My dad died very suddenly on March 24th, 1996. He literally dropped dead, and th there was no thought of him dying, but he did. And so um, I often say if I knew half as much as I thought I knew when my dad died, I would have been pretty darn smart. <laughs> so I proceeded to run the business from a very arrogant perspective. I knew more than, uh, than anybody. I didn't want to hear any information from, from Jeff Hancher or from this girl or that guy or whatever. I, I, I was the man. This was my chance, and I was going to do my own thing. And so uh, my dad ran this business very successfully for 22 years. Two years later, with me at the helm, uh, the business was bankruptcy imminent. And, and that's, that's a fact. It's, a, it's an accounting fact. I was bankruptcy imminent. And so I had to figure out a way to get myself out of this jam. And I was reading a book at the time called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which is a very famous self-development book. Sure. I was reading it, but I wasn't executing it. And so one of the things he talks about in the book is seek expert counsel and, uh, and I wasn't doing that. As a matter of fact, I was turning away expert counsel. So what I did was I, I went to Mr. Hamilton, who was my dad's partner at one time, um, and he brought my dad into the business, and Mr. Hamilton was a legend to me. And, and I went into his office, and I said, Mr. Hamilton, I said, uh, I, don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. I said, I'm lost. I said, I don't know what I'm doing. And uh, I said, I'd like to ask you for a list of the top 10 things that I should be doing to be a successful car dealer. And he said, well, he called me James. He says, James, let me think about that. He said, come back tomorrow, tomorrow and I'll have a list for you. So I went back the next day and, and he handed me a list. And uh, I, I did that. I started doing that list. And uh, so I went to, you know, Mr. I kept going to Mr. Hamilton over the years. Um, he was definitely a, a great mentor for me. 
And uh, I went to Chrysler Financial, who was our financial arm with Jeep at the time. I went to GMAC, financial arm with, with, with Oldsmobile at the time. I went to NADA, which is, a, which is a, a, an organization to help car dealers to succeed in, in different aspects. Mm-hmm. I went to them. I went to Al Lazar, who was uh, with R1 Bank and Trust at the time. I went to, um, I, had, I hired a new accountant, uh, Tom Hugan gave me, I mean, he, he charged me, but also gave me a lot of off, uh, offline uh, advice and great advice and difficult advice. And so I just kept asking and asking and asking for this advice, this expert counsel. And over a period of time, I saw the needle start to move. It was like, wow, I've got something here. And I just kept doing the, the disciplines and it kept moving. I kept doing the disciplines, kept moving. And, and it just, it just, it just kept getting better and better and better. I kept doing the disciplines. I kept asking for advice. I joined a 20 group. I forgot to mention that, which is a, a our way of saying think tank. Mm-hmm. And I would go there with a blank piece of paper and say, you know, I would write on the top of the piece of paper, I'm here to learn. And I, I would always try to walk away with 10 ideas that I was going to bring back and implement at the dealership. And, and then, and then, and then they measured me and I, they, it was accounting and they, I could see my needle moving. And so the, the 20 groups were also great opportunities to learn. So the basic idea that came out of this whole thing was, you know, find somebody who is smarter than you have a conversation, whether it be a book or a, podcast like this or a video or YouTube or Dr. Google, whatever the case may be, find somebody who's smarter than you and, 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 and have a conversation in terms of what are the things I should be doing and what are the things I should not be doing. And that's been my formula for all these years. And it, and it just exploded based on that. That, yeah, I know that, um, and that's great advice. And I know that uh, just through talking to you, listening to some of your material that's out there, that book, Think and Grow Rich, uh, changed your life. And I know, I mean, I've done a whole podcast episode on that book alone, uh, but I don't know anybody that has read that book more than you. I believe uh, the no- last number I heard was, you've read that book 142 times. I have. So this wasn't something that you took a, a cavalier approach to. You read it, it captured you, and you implemented it. And I find, Jim, so many times, there's not a lack of information out there. As a matter of fact, I would say there are people out there that overwhelm themselves with information and they get scattered. You, yep. you, I mean, you had other things going, but this book is something that revolutionized how you went to market, how you changed as a person. You know, yeah. without going into great detail of the entire book, if there was one thing that you could say I lost you, Jeff. about, can you hear me? Uh, you, you, you blanked, it started, you, I lost you for a minute there. Okay. If there, without going into great detail. Okay. Yeah. Without going into great detail of the whole book, is there one thing that you pulled out that you would say had the biggest impact on you? And what would you say to people that are looking for information and how not to get overwhelmed with too much information. So those two questions on that point. Okay, well, first of all, information does not produce results. Never, never has, never will produce results. Information is just that. It's information. Well, what produces results is action. Action, action, action. So you, you've got to get off the information and into action. So what I did was I took the information and I turned it into specific defined disciplines that I did every single day. Uh, without fail, for the most part, you know, I mean, I, I wanted to be at 100%. And if I was at 90, that was a pretty darn good number. 85 was still good. 80 was getting a little edgy. 70 wasn't good enough. 70 was, was, uh, was uh, mediocrity. So 
if I had, if I just to pick a number, if I had a hundred disciplines to execute every day and I did 70 of them, I was going to be, be mediocre. If I did 80 of them, I was going to be successful. And if I did 85 to 90, I was going to be extremely successful. So one of the things that Paul Hill taught me in this book, and I, I, I opened it up because I thought you were going to ask me this question. It's in the chapter on imagination. And um, I actually thought I had it here and I don't, I got to give me a second here. Anyways, information does not produce results. It's only actions that produce results. So I'm in the chapter on, on, on imagination. Yep. And this particular book is 133. And it says, um, oh, darn it, this is not, that's not where I want to be. Uh, anyways, I'm not going to go there. It's, he says in the book, he says, whatever you do, do not put this book down until you have read it at least three times. Because then you're not going to want to stop. Mm -hmm. So I want you to think about that. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, right? But, but he's telling me, this, Napoleon Hill was, was one of my mentors, right? He, he was dead and gone. But this book, I was being mentored by Napoleon Hill through this book. So he tells me to read this book at least three times because then you're not going to want to stop. And so I'm bankruptcy imminent, and I read the book, and I implemented the instructions in the book, which one of them was this Seek Expert Counsel. That's really the big, big message of the book, for me at least. And so... But 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 the instruction was to read it three times, and, and, and then you're not going to want to stop. So here I am, bankruptcy imminent. I'm reading the book. I'm doing what he's telling me to do, and the needle started to move. So initially I read it because I was afraid. I was afraid of this bankruptcy imminent, so I wanted to get out of that. So I'm, I'm following that advice. Well, then I didn't want to go back to bankruptcy imminent, and I could see the needle moving. The bank account was growing. So now I'm reading it because I don't want to go back, and then – I could see what happened. It was like, you know, I don't want to jinx myself, right? So I just kept reading it. And I've read it 142 times. And what, what I have found, and I've actually suspended reading it because I'm working on other stuff at this time. I, mm -hmm. I've actually started reading. I've read it halfway through 143rd time. And then it's like, okay, I got something else to do. And I started it again and halfway through. So it's actually kind of like 142 and a half. But that said, the, 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 um, in the book – he tells you to seek expert counsel, but, but, but in addition to that, to that, there's six very specific steps in the chapter on desire that he's telling you to follow. And he's telling you that he got this information from Andrew Carnegie, who is the third wealthiest man in the history of the world mm -hmm. relative to updating the numbers to today's standards. And, and then he's also telling you that Thomas Edison, who invented the light bulb, Jim Shorty never invented anything, right? So okay. this guy invents a light bulb and he's saying that, not only are these the steps to make money, these are the steps to achieve any goal that you want to achieve in life. And again, I'm paraphrasing. So here's Andrew Carnegie. Here's Thomas Edison saying, you know, do these six steps. And here's Jim Shorkey, expert, arrogance, not doing the steps. Mm -hmm. So I'm bankrupt. Him is like, I'm going to start doing these steps. And mm -hmm. basically what the steps are is to you know, create a goal, decide what you're going to give, create a time limit on that goal, uh, map out your plan, write it all down, and then repeat that statement once in the morning once at night forever and so yeah. that's what i did that's what i did so you know i you know a couple points on that jim that, that you said and i want our listeners to really hear this here's jim uh you know you know prior to executing some of these fundamentals who like he said if if he knew half of what he thought he knew he'd be a wild success it took some adversity and some yeah. challenges for him to go become a better professional, a better person. So you may be listening today and that's where you're at. 
you're in that moment of uncertainty. Many of you listening have lost your jobs. Some of you listening have had to furlough or lay off parts of your team. It's a tough time, but I can tell you, oftentimes in the biggest discomfort comes the biggest breakthroughs. This happened in Jim's life, but I also want to caution the listener. There's a lot of information out there. I mean, when I started, it was uh, cassette tapes of Earl Nightingale. I'm sure Jim can relate. Now we have YouTube, we have Google, we have all of this. I think we have a couple groups of people out there, Jim, where we have people that want to get better and do nothing about it. We have people that are consuming everything, but they're lacking execution. And then we have folks like you that say, I'm taking this book and not only am I going to consume it, but I'm going to execute. And what would you say to the people out there that are kind of uh, the jack of all trades, master of none, as it relates to find the one thing and work the plan? You know, desire alone is a start, but it's not enough. At some point, you've got to put the book down and you've got to execute. Can you talk a little bit about how you implemented that in your story to success? Yeah, so we have this idea called the, the strategic continuum. And this, if you can envision a, a continuum as a, a line with an arrow on each side, and it goes into infinity to the, in, into infinity to the right and into infinity to the left. So it's, it's a continuum. And so on the strategic continuum, we have the F strategy, the D strategy, the C strategy, the B strategy, and the A strategy. And it's on this continuum. And as, as we move to the A strategy, our results are going to improve as we move to the B, to the to the F strategy. Our results are going to get worse. So, the better the strategy, the better results. The worse the strategy, the worse the results. And so, we would we would teach on this, right? And so, we felt uh, from Napoleon Hill and, and as a company, as we figured this, started figuring this thing out, we felt that we needed to have at least a B B to a B plus plan. So, you don't need to have the perfect plan. You don't. But you need to have at least a B to a B plus plan. And we always coached on that because. There was always this question about whether we were doing the right thing. I'm talking about from people in the organization, and we had to convince them that we had the right plan. And the secret is not the plan totally, it's the execution of that plan. Yeah. And so what we said was, and here's our idea behind the strategic continuum. First of all, every action produces a result. Number one, no action is an action. No action is always an action. I'm sitting here right now. And somebody might say to me, well, you're not in action. Yes, I am. Action, sitting is an action. So I am in action right now. Not the best action because we got to move around more. Sitting is an action. And so just remember, no action is always going to be an action, right? And so if I have successful actions, I'm going to have successful results. If I have unsuccessful actions, I'm going to have unsuccessful results. And so I always looked at it as a ratio. Do I want it to be 100 successful to no unsuccessful? Of course I do. But I had to at least be at 80-20. So 80 successful, 20 unsuccessful, preferably 85 to 15, and a good number would be 90-10. If I, I can tell you this. If I do, if I have a series of disciplines and I do 90 uh, that, are, that are really successful and 10 that are unsuccessful, I'm going to win big time, you know. And 80, I felt, was the bare minimum. So what we would say to our people was we had to have at least a B to a B plus plan. We thought we did, and we did. And, and, but then it was the execution, right? So our goal was 100% execution of the plan. And then we always put in parentheses, or pretty darn close. <laughs> and it was the execution, or lack thereof, that 
was a house of cards, right? So if we didn't execute, we failed. And, and that's, where, that's where I feel a lot of people really miss the boat is it's the execution. And, and, and if you have an A-plus plan and you execute your A-plus plan 50% of the time, I will crush you. It won't even be a competition. Mm-hmm. I will crush you with my B2B plus plan executed at close to 100% of the time. That's good. Does that make sense? That's good. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I tell people all the time, Jim, on that note, that there's a, there's a big difference between being busy and being productive. Yeah. And first off, if you're not busy, I don't know if Jim and I can help you there or not. That's a decision of being active and engaging and taking massive action into your success. That's yeah. not anything we can teach you. You just got to commit to that. But being productive is something that, that you can be helped with. So if you feel like you're in a place that you're busy, but you're not getting results, then back to Jim's earlier point, seek expert counsel. And yeah. th- that's a great transition into some some leadership attributes that, that maybe you took on during this transition, because I mean, look, you now you're reading the book, you're creating this plan, you create this manifesto, this is what we're going to do. Um, and as a leader, we get excited about those plans. Uh, but look, if you've been in leadership any length of time, you realize that that plan is only as good as getting buy-in from your team and then the execution. And as leaders, we need to get our teams on board. And often in times of challenge and difficulty, you know, when facing bankruptcy, Jim, how did you get your team on board with you? You got this great plan. Now it's, I need influence. I got to influence. I got to get people to buy into this vision. Maybe it was drastic change and they weren't sure if they were going to buy in. What were some things that you did? What would you tell leaders now that are looking to to make change, uh, it, to get over this hump of uncertainty, because we've heard it said, if there's things that you want that you've never had, you better start thinking about things to do that you've never done. That's what right. was that environment like for you, Jim? And how did you get your team on board? First of all, I'd advise everybody to go to YouTube, uh, Dr. YouTube, I call it, <laughs> and uh, watch the video of uh, John Wooden and um, Bill Walton where Bill Walton decided he wasn't, he was going to dress like a hit. He was going to wear his hair like a hippie beard, a long hair. And, and John Wooden, that was one of his policies is that you, um, you weren't, you weren't going to do that on his team. It wasn't part of his team. And so Bill Walton, who uh, they were national champions, he was the most valuable player shows up to the first practice with the long hair and a beard. And John Wooden says, uh, pulls him aside. And he says, uh, and, and, and Bill Walton barely let him talk. And John Wooden, by the way, never raised his voice, never raised his voice. And he said, uh, Bill Walton says, I know what you're going to say, coach. I know what you're going to say. He said, it's, it's my hair. It's my beard. It's America. Freedom of this and that and everything. And, and he went through this whole rant about how, and I'm paraphrasing, but go watch the video. It's like six to eight minutes long. And, uh, and John Wooden says, you know what, Bill, you're right. Remember, this is the MVP of a national championship UCLA basketball team. He says, you're right. You're right, uh, Bill. It is your right. And uh, it is your hair. And it is your face. And it is your right to wear your hair the way you want to wear it. We're going to miss you. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> We're going to miss you. <laughs> right. Right. What do you think Bill Walton did? Adjusted. He didn't adjust. He raced across town and got his hair cut because yeah. if he was late for practice, he didn't get to play in, a, in the next game. You got to watch the video. It's, it's fascinating. But let me tell you something. Uh, here's the deal. Okay. I was bankruptcy imminent, Jeff. I didn't have, I didn't have time. 
I couldn't hold your hand. I wasn't going to beg. This is, I, I went to uh, an accounting class and, and um, this is when I, I realized I was, and it was accounting, it was NADA and it was accounting and they had you do what was called a, a Z factor uh, with, uh, with my financial statement. It's, it, and, and it's a seven different uh, financial statement ratios. I don't recall what they were, but they basically they measured your financial strength based on these ratios. And it came, it came up to one number and that number told you how financially viable you were. And it started bulletproof, very strong, strong, uh, less than strong. And it went the whole way down to bankruptcy imminent. So here I am, Jim Shorkey, car dealer, mathematician, doing the numbers and it comes up bankruptcy imminent. I'm like, what the heck? Ah, must have done something wrong, you know. So did the calculation again, comes up bankruptcy imminent. Well, here I'm devastated, man. I am devastated. And I'm also embarrassed. Being embarrassed is a good thing. I was embarrassed. It's my dad's business, 22 years. He he did what he did. Two years later, I'm bankruptcy imminent. So I waited till, till everybody else cleared the room because I was embarrassed. And I walk up to the guy and say, hey, here's my number. I said, this can't happen. This cannot happen. So what do I do? Seek expert counsel. What do I do? He said, you got to cut everything. He says, you got to cut every single expense you can. You got to cut the paper clips. I said, okay, man, you got it. So I go back and I start cutting. I cut every freaking thing I could. You know, we weren't ordering air for the tires, man. It was like everything was <laughs> cut, cut, cut. So, and, and, and did I have a, a revolution? Yeah. Did I care? No. Mm -hmm. Because I was bankruptcy imminent. So you're either with me or you're not. If you're not, get out. I'm sorry, but this is a tough situation. This is like, you know what? We gotta. We don't want to lose the arm, but guess what? We got to cut it off because this guy's going to die if we don't. So right. I don't dislike my arm, but if it's going to cause me to die in keeping it, then the arm has to go. And so there were some people that were very, very resistant and we had to let them go but there were way way more people that understood the message and that they and they wanted to help and they helped me incredibly so where i lost one i gained two because the ones that like that are going to cause trouble they bring everybody else down and sure. when you're looking at team building and leadership you know um guys like chuck Knoll, who you know he got a lot of criticism for this you know one of the greatest coaches ever in the hall of fame he said, it's time for you to get on with your life's work. And sometimes that's the case. It's time for you to move along to another venture because here's where we're at, bankruptcy imminent. We got to work our way out of this. And you're either with me, we, we lock elbows, and we're going to fight the fight, or you're not, and then we got to part ways. So sounds harsh, but bankruptcy imminent is really harsh. harsh. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, Jim. And you know, we talk a lot about finding the balance in, in, you know, personality styles and leadership and leadership styles and, you know, profiling and all this other stuff. I always tell people when you're in trouble mode, uh, you have to be decisive. That yep. is not the time for a quorum always. There yep. are times for that. And I'm sure that you were a visionary, like this is what we're doing now, but here's the benefits later if we do it this way. But the reality is, is that in times of uncertainty, in times of adversity, in times of economic downturn, as a leader, you have to be prepared to make tough decisions. And yes. so I want to segue into that, Jim, a little bit. You know, I've heard it often said, we've all heard it, that doing the hard thing is often the right thing. Yes. 
Yes. And many leaders sacrifice doing the hard things because they're uncomfortable and they end up paying a dear price later for not pushing through the discomfort. It's a pay now or pay later uh, leadership principle. And I've learned in my research of your story that you once had to demote your sister. Can you share what that was like and your feedback to leaders regarding making tough decisions? I can't imagine that was fun. That was awful. It was absolutely awful. And, and so what happened was, um, I, uh, so we were all out of whack on accounting and I, and I could bore you with the details there, but let's just say we were a mess. We were a freaking mess. And so, so, um, I, I, I had to, I had to remove my accountant to, to say the least. And I, and I brought on a new accountant based on expert counsel. I said, here's the guy I recommend. And so I bring in, uh, Tom Hugan, and we have a discussion, and we go to, and we're, we're, we go to work. And this guy is uh, not only a great friend, a great accountant, but he gave me so much great advice. And so I'm in the office one day. He says, he says, Jim, come up here. And I go up to the office that he was working out of, and he says, Sanam, man, we got to talk. And I, he said, uh, he said to me, your sister is going to have a nervous breakdown. She can't, she can't handle this. This is not what we she, she just can't handle us you need to bring in a controller and boy was that ever hard you know and so I, i'll never forget this i said to um to to my i told my sister what we had to do and of course she was upset rightfully so and um i, I and i said she's and, and one of her concerns was that she, where was she gonna where was her office gonna be i said okay that's easy you take my office so and this was a house we were working out of that was adjacent to the dealership. That's where the main office was, so to speak. Hmm. And so, so uh, I said, take my office. And, I, and the, this was my dad's office. And I had my whole life wanted to be the guy in this office. Right? I said, take my office. So, so she, she does, she, we do that. And so I operated for, for that year of, re, of reclamation and rebuilding. I operated from, it was a house, okay? And there was a kitchen table where the office girls would eat their lunch. Right? That's where I sat at this kitchen table. I kid you not. And um, my sister ended up progressing so well that she ended up moving back into that position. So that's the part of the story that maybe we haven't told. But I did have to, to, to I, I hate to say that word demote. That sounds like, I don't know, self-serving. But anyway, Reassigned, reassigned. Reassigned her and then she got back into that position and, 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 and was in that position for the longest time. And uh, so, so that was a, a good, good ending to a bad story. But it was it was very very difficult, and um, I got a lot of family uh, and employee dissatisfaction over that. I'll bet. But I had no choice. I had no choice. And, and you, I did it for the right reasons, and it turned out that um, it really did turn out well. But we got a person in there that was able to to really do what we needed to have done, and um, and that was that. So that's that was a tough one. You're right. That was a very tough one. I think it speaks volumes, though, and I appreciate your transparency on that. Um, you know, I, I heard a great leader uh, once say that taught me a lot is uh, it's it's good to be friendly, but not quite friends. But here you are in a family business. That's yep. a totally different dynamic. Yep. And not everybody is in a family business. If you are, you just learned a great lesson in making tough decisions. But even in the corporate world, in the entrepreneurial world, we have to understand that we can't let relationships drive the business. Relationships are important, 
but not more important than the success and the results of the business. So when it comes time to making tough decisions, absolutely factor in relationships, tenure, all this stuff. But at the end of the day, you can't sacrifice the entire business for one person. And make sure that you understand as a leader, sometimes doing the hard thing is the right thing. I don't know how the story ends for Jim if he doesn't make that change. But what we do know looking back now is it, it blossomed. Not to mention the fact that reassigning his sister into a different role probably lowered her stress level, maybe gave yeah, her a little breathing room and allowed her to rebuild and refocus on self-development to not only get back to where she was, but maybe beyond where yeah. she was before the change happened. No question about it. No, she, no, she absolutely did exactly that. And she actually ended up in a better position by far. And it was because, um, because of her, not because of me, you know, I just had to make the difficult call. But the fact is, is that um, we were on a bad path from from the perspective of my sister. And and granted, it wasn't pleasant, but she was definitely stressed out over what was going on, uh, and 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 justifiably so. So yes, I made the right call. Was it easy? It was not. Well. Sometimes the tough calls are usually the right ones, and sometimes they're not. But nonetheless, in leadership, you got to make tough calls. I heard Steve Jobs once say that uh, if you're in leadership to make everybody happy, you're in the wrong place. You should be selling ice cream. And uh, leadership is not that. So let's talk about, uh, you know, to continue down that path, you, you're, we're segueing really good into some of these questions you know, right now, as we stated, there are many people that are suffering significant personal loss right now. Um, many people may lose their homes, their vehicles, not be able to pay credit card debt, whatever it might be. And there are many people even now that are still battling with personal loss that has affected their ability to move on and thrive from things that happened years and years ago. And Jim, you're no stranger to this concept either. And I, I want you to think back to the loss of your father. I've heard you talk about it uh, in other venues. And I heard you once say that while you were sitting in your office, someone had told you that the business was in jeopardy. We talked a little bit about that earlier. And I remember hearing you tell a story of you becoming emotionally charged and kind of had a battle cry to honor the Shorky name. You know, some people let loss defeat them, while others, they, it becomes their fuel. Can you take us through that loss and that season of your life and how others can turn their mess into their message the same way that you did? So, yeah, and I can only speak for myself, so I wouldn't speak for anybody else. Uh, sure. Whole idea, but so what happened was um, I had brought in, um, I was talking to, to Jimmy Lawn, who was the zone manager for Chrysler Financial at the time. And he came in and he was very, very gracious, very gracious. And I, and, and I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And he's asking me questions. And uh, he says to me, uh, he says, he looks at my, he's got my financial statement in my hand, which that's, that's the accounting. That's the, that's the result. Right. And he says, Jimmy says, um, what's going on with your factory receivables? And I said, uh, never forget. I said, what's a factory receivable? <laughs> Explain to me what that was, which it's money owed to you by the factory, and and, and I, that's how that's how clueless I clueless I was, and it and it was my fault, and so 
that was the start of something really, really big. It was a very sad day, but the start of something big. So mm -hmm. to his, oh man, I, I can't even believe this happened, but he actually had a team of accountants, three people, that he said, I'm going to send these people in and they will do a formal audit of your books. This is about a $30,000 bill, right? Is I'll bring them in and um, I won't charge you anything for this. I'm like, what the heck? Jeez. Okay, well, yeah, sign me up. So he brings these guys in, and I tell them the whole story like I just told you with a lot more detail. And this guy, so, so I was told by somebody, I don't know who, that when you're meeting with people, to come out from behind the desk. So I'm in my dad's office, and I'm out from behind the desk, and I'm sitting on the outside of the desk, and they're sitting around the room, and we're having a conversation. And I tell them the story, and this guy's got tears in his eyes, literally. And he says to me, he says, do you still want to do this? Huh. Like, what are you talking about? Of course I still want to do this. That's why I brought you guys in. He says, no, 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 no. He says, um, and excuse me if I get emotional. He says, do you still want to sit behind that desk? I said, guys, I said, that's my dad's desk. I said, I've been wanting to sit behind that desk my whole life. I said, let me, let me tell you something, guys. I'm going to figure this out. Okay, I'm going to figure this out. If, if I have to work 26 hours out of the next 24, that's what I'm going to do. But I'm going to figure it out. So let's go. Let's get it on. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, they did their work. And, and I know they had to look at it and think you know, behind the, 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 the doors, like, there's no chance in heck this guy's going to make it. I wish mm -hmm. I could talk to them. I really do. Because um, they actually came in the next year. And he did it again for free. Again, this is a $30,000 job. Those of you who are in business to have a full hardcore auditing of your books is a $30,000 bill, probably a hundred grand right now. And so they did it again. And, and well, I'm sorry, the first time they did it, so they gave me a list of things to do. It's like, okay, man, I got my list. And that's the, that's the thing. It's the list, man, the list. And then I had to execute the list. So I did, and I turned it around. And that, that next year was the most profitable year in the history of the Jim Shorty Family Auto Group to date. That would have been 1999. Made more money in 1999 than ever in the history of the Jim Shorty Family Auto Group, which at mm -hmm. that time was courtesy Oldsmobile Jeep. Mm -hmm. And um, and they came back and they couldn't believe what they saw because I changed it, you know, because they told me to change it. Mr. Hamilton, you know, all these different people that gave me this great advice. That's why I'm so big on Seek Expert Council. And uh, Jeff, I can tell you, um, the best advice I could possibly give you is that if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. Mm -hmm. I agree, Jim. Get out. Find people that are smarter than you and hang out with them. And I'm telling you what, good things are going to happen. So I got around people that were smarter than me, and I just kept. I was a. I was a. I was a just a a sponge trying to figure out what I should be doing. And the more I implemented these um, disciplines, the better. I the more success I had. And the more money that the dealerships made, and and it just kind of blossomed from there, almost like, like it just it just happened. It just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Because I just kept implementing, 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 and uh, and here we are today. It's 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 ten dealerships. It's over six hundred employees. And, all from uh, all from a humble beginning, you know when bankruptcy imminent. Quite frankly, that's it. No question, and and that's why it's such a great story, and why I love having you on the show today. Because I think a lot of people could resonate with this, and you know, oftentimes, and and some of you are are being introduced to Jim for the first time ever. But again, if you're 
in the Pittsburgh region, you know the name and you probably know, hey, uh, you know, the Jim Shorky Auto Group is a, a juggernaut dealership. They're known for great service and you see how the story ends, but you don't know uh, what he went through. Not only economic challenges, suffered personal loss. And that's, I like to get transparent and real with that. I mean, I, I built a career through, you know, two parents in hospice and in and out of hospitals and leg amputations and, and you name it. And look, Jim and I, uh, you know, I, I, I would, I'm not speaking for Jim, but nobody is excused from adversity. And right now, many of you are going through that. And that's why I love that story, Jim, of that day when this accounting group is asking you a tough question. Do you want to sit behind that desk? And I feel like as I heard and hear you, uh, the emotion in your voice, I'll let you speak to this, but it would probably be safe to say that that day, if you could reflect back on that specific meeting, it was not about building wealth and building brand and building the Jim Shorky name. It was, it was more about honor and, you know, I always say, we've heard the saying that people will work for their what, but they'll die for their why. That day triggered something emotional in you that you were prepared to bleed out and die on the field rather than lose. Safe to say? Well, uh, it wasn't that day. That was one day of many. But the fact is, is that, um, you know, my name is, is uh, James Ronald Shorkey Jr. My dad's name is James Ronald Shorkey. And, um, you know, I wasn't going to let my dad die. I wasn't going to see this thing, you know, do what it was doing. I was embarrassed. It was terrible. And it was my fault. I took full responsibility. My dad did not leave this business the way I carried it. You know what I mean? And so, when I finally understood that and I recognized what I had done and how screwed up I was, I was not going to, I would have died on the battlefield. Absolutely. And um, I, I wasn't gonna let my dad die. It was my dad. And so I met with my dad every morning at eight 30 in the morning. We had our meeting and a lot of times it was, it was discussions about life and not necessarily just the car business, but we did talk about the car business, of course, but I miss my dad to this day. I mean, my dad died um, Mar- March 24th, 1996. So what is that? 24 years ago. And I still miss those conversations. I really do. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I could see this very clear vision of, of my dad and, and how, how hard he and my mom both worked in creating this business in, in 1974 and what they went through. And I just wasn't going to let my dad and my mom down. I was going to fight the fight. I wasn't going to be defeated. And, and as you said, it's not necessarily, you know, it's, 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 no, there was no goal of making a million bucks. There was no goal of selling a million cars. Right. The only goal I had was survival. Yeah. I had to survive. And so I couldn't even think about anything beyond that. I had to stop the bleeding. So that's where, you know, the arm had to go sort of like it stopped the bleeding. And that's, that's kind of that, that idea. But more than anything, the why, I, I wasn't going to let my dad down. It wasn't. And, and, and that's what I did. Jim, that is profound. And again, I appreciate you sharing and being vulnerable because I, I want our listeners to hear this. You know, folks like Jim are wired differently. There's decisions that they make in the toughest times that bring out 
a side of a human being that's just different. And I want that to challenge you all today is no matter what it is that you want in life, there, if you can engage your motivation, and that's beyond the W-2, and that's beyond the trip and the boat. And look, those things are great. But I can tell you this, I've, I've surrounded myself with successful people. I've interviewed many of them on this podcast. And I can tell you, it's the people that find something that is deep within their motivation that will drive them to win. And so maybe right now you're laid off. Maybe right now your business isn't doing so hot. Forget about the balance sheet and that stuff for one second and remind yourself why you started. Remind yourself who's out there that's counting on you to win. Maybe this isn't about you anymore. There might be people in your life that are looking upon you and counting on you to win. For Jim, it was his dad. It was his dad's legacy. It was his name. It fueled him and continues to fuel him to this day. And now he's passing that on to his family. So, so let's talk about that a little bit, Jim. You've stepped away from the business. Uh, you've gifted it to your children, which is an amazing legacy. You now spend your life helping others succeed through your company uh, results from thinking. Tell us a little bit about that transition. Tell us a little bit about that business and, and how people can connect with you and Chuck Bellina and what you're doing. Well, the name of the company is Results From Thinking. You can find us at resultsfromthinking.com. And we have a program called Rethink You, which is exactly that, Rethink You, which is um, what I did uh, with Chuck and Steve's help is I, 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 just, I know what I did, I know how I did it, and I put it into this organized format that is a step-by-step process for how anybody could do what I did in terms of success. And, and, and we, I measure success on, on five different pillars. One is is passion. I got to have great passion and what can I do to improve that passion? Two is health. I, I, I put health as number two in front of, in front of love even because if I'm, if I'm unhealthy or, or if I'm dead, then it's all over. So I want to be healthy and be taking action to be healthy. So thirdly is my love, which is my, my, my wife, uh, Amy, my, my children, the whole family, the, the, the children, the significant others, the grandchildren, and all the extended families, which would be, you know, Amy's mom and dad and my mom and my, all the siblings, the whole thing, family. Next mm-hmm. is, uh, is friends. Uh, Jeff Hancher is my friend. Next is uh, self-love and next is nature. And I really do believe that we belong in nature. So I want to work every day on what can I do to improve my love. Next is abundance. And abundance is something that you have to measure. Uh, for me, it always was money. I like having money. Sure. Uh, I know it's not the do all end all, but you know, money, money, uh, Zig Ziglar said, uh, you know, money uh, doesn't buy happiness. He says, but I try being happy with money and I try being happy without money. And it's a whole <laughs> lot easier to be happy. <laughs> That's with money. right. So that was a paraphrase of Zig Ziglar, who I love, uh, who I loved. I mean, he's, he's passed on, but, um, and then lastly is joy and joy is the funeral test. And so when they put you in a hole and you know, wh- wh- who's going to show up at your fun- funeral? What are they going to say? And if, if I'm in the hole and Jeff Hancher is standing there and he says, this guy here, this Jim Shorty guy, he impacted on my life. You know, he changed my life. And, 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 he's, and Jeff is standing there with somebody and says, you know, the, the car I have, the boat I have, the house I have, the, the joy that I have is because of that guy right there in the hole. Yeah. And then the person standing next to him says, you know what, I have the same story to tell. And, and he 
proceeds to tell his story, and then she tells her story, and there's all these stories going on about what Jim Shorty did and the impact that he had. That's what I call the funeral test, and that would bring me great joy. Yeah. On the contrary, I could be in a hole, and, and it could be uh, somebody shows up at that same hole and says, I'm just making sure this guy's really dead. <laughs> he was a jerk. Right. And I, I want to make sure, are you sure he's not breathing? Because I tell you what, good riddance. What a freaking moron he was. He was just a terrible, terrible person. Yeah. And to me, that would be a funeral of sadness. And, and so I don't want to end up sad. I want to end up with joy. And so the better job I do with my passion, my health, my love, and my abundance, the more joyful I'm going to be at that funeral. And, um, and actually, it's the day before the funeral because obviously I'm not here anymore. But right. the day before that funeral, if I can say, Jim Shorty, job well done, that's joy. Yeah. That's joy. That's what I want. Well, I think you're, uh, you're well on your way, my friend. Your, your story is one of inspiration. You're helping a lot of people. You're leaving a tremendous legacy for your family. You're reaching out uh, to our community and beyond. And uh, I'm so glad that our paths have crossed. And listen, uh, listeners, make sure that you go to Results From Thinking and check out what Jim and his team are doing. There's some amazing content. Uh, follow them on Facebook, Results From Thinking. Jim is on there. You're, I think you're on there every day, right, Jim? Giving uh, free information and uh, tidbits of success. What time yeah. is it? Every morning at 9 o'clock um, Eastern. And I... Uh, this morning I talked about, uh, you know, what must I do today to begin the process of deserving? Yeah. And uh, I personally believe that whatever result, I, first of all, results are the name of the game. That results are the name of the game. We've got to keep that in the forefront. And so the results that I have are my responsibility. Everything is my fault, every single thing. And so what must I do today to begin the process of deserving a better life in terms of those five pillars I talked about. What are the actions that I have to take today to begin to move that needle? And so I'm only speaking to Jim Shorkey. Uh, COVID-19 has been a hardship for a lot of people, but I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, are they doing everything they can to begin the process of deserving today? Everything they can. And, uh, and that's the question that the listeners have to answer. And if the answer is, no, I'm not, well, then it's time to get to work and figure out what are the things you need to do yeah. to start to deserve more today. Because COVID-19 is very real. It's here. And um, I'll give you a little piece of advice. If, you, if you've lost your sense of income, you know what? Go get a job. That's right. Well, there are no jobs. There's no jobs. There's no jobs anywhere in, 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 in Pittsburgh. Is that what you're telling me, Jeff? There's no jobs? Because I went by a place the other day that says, we're hiring people to deliver. And I know a story of a young lady who has a small business that was shut down due to COVID-19. She does baked goods. Hmm. And she decided to do this thing called uh, door drop, I think, or something like that, where she actually delivers food from the restaurants to individual people. Yeah. And she decided on her own to make a little Easter egg with a piece of chocolate in it with an inspirational note in that. And guess what, Jeff? She's making more money doing that than she was in her little business baking cookies and whatnot. That's so good. And it's not a it's not a dream job. It's not a, sure. it's not, it's not the, the ultimate goal. But 
if you're not making money, you got a problem. It's called yeah. things ain't going to turn out so hot. So you need to go get a job. And there's, yeah. there's things you can do to make money. There, there, right. there always are. And right. Um, even right now, maybe there's some elderly couple that need to have the grass cut. And you can yeah. go knock on the door with your rubber gloves and your face mask and say, hey, I'll cut your grass for 20 bucks. And you cut the grass and you make 20 bucks. There's things you can do. I, I just, I, I, I get very passionate about this because there's Me so much too. conversation about what we can't do. I'm yes. here to talk today about what I can do. Yes. What can I do? Not what yes. can't I do. That's right. I'm here to talk about what I can do. And there's things I can do today to improve my lot in life. And if I can do it, anybody can do it. Well said, Jim. I, I absolutely agree. Let's not, uh, uh, that's a great ending point is let's not focus on what's been taken from us. Let's focus on what we have left. What's in your hand right now? What resources do you have that you can use? And so exactly. Exactly. I, I think it's, it's very well said. And Jim, thanks so much uh, for investing time to be on our show today. I really look forward to collaborating with you in the future to help make deposits into the greater community. Champion Nation, look, allow Jim's story to be a fresh reminder that setbacks don't need to define you. Make sure that you go check out Results From Thinking and look at the curriculum that he has put together as a tool and a resource for you to succeed. We'll have the link to his website and some of his curriculum into the show notes. Make sure that you go to thechampionform.com, sign up for our weekly newsletter that outlines each episode. There you can find all the connections to our guests, bullet points that you can share with your team. And also, if the show is adding value to your pursuit, it would mean a lot to me if you would invest a few minutes to leave a review from the platform where you stream it. This helps us get the message out to even more people. Uh, Jim, thanks again for being on. I really appreciate it. Look forward to working with you in the future. And as far as Champion Nation goes, folks, you have got to always remember this. You have been set up to be a champion in this life. The Champion Forum Podcast with Jeff Hancher. Lead. Inspire. Win. Win.